It's Jong Hu Hustle. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Jong Hu Hustle. The recent Asian martial arts by Asian creators Jam on itch.io was an amazing look into just what it says in the tin, Asian perspectives on their relationship to Asian martial arts. Designers created 16 amazing games that range from traditional wuxia games to LARPs about kids beating each other up on the playground. We got together with six of the designers and organizers to chat about the reasons behind the jam, the people who joined it, and of course, the games themselves. The audio is a little more raw than you're used to, and there's more swearing in this episode than usual, but trust us, the conversation more than makes up for it. Both panels are back-to-back in this episode, so let's get to them already. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asian Martial Arts by Asian Creators Jam panel. We are very excited to be hosting this here at Jonghu Hustle. Uh, my name is Eli Kurtz, and I'm here with my co-host, Eric Farmer. Hey, everybody. And we have some very special guests with us today. We have Alana Yo, Tan Han, and Pam Punzalan from uh, the Jam panel. And we're very glad to have all of you here. So let's kind of go through here and do some introductions. Alana and Han, I know that you are both on the same company. So why don't we kind of handle your introduction together? Alana, do you want to go first? Sure, okay. So, however, the Cubans Chimeras were based in Singapore. Uh, we are predominantly kind of like a tabletop game experience designer company. I don't know. We do a bunch of stuff. That's why we call ourselves the Chimeras. Um, yeah, so I guess we've been in business for maybe two years now. And Hua Chun was one of our, you know, really short games that we do. But um, right now, we've, we're actually focusing on slightly longer games. Uh, we'll be creating our own system uh, further down the road, yeah. Okay, so I guess I'll chime in as well on that. And uh, yeah, so we mostly, um, I guess in terms of games, we really like uh, working with people to play games or to design games or to write games for them for different kinds of things. So uh, getting a chance to make uh, make this recent game for it was very, very much of a, we saw the prompt and then we were like, hey, okay, let's just create something. And we got inspired by it and we thought we'll put it up and contribute a little bit to the jam. And so we're just very glad that uh, it picked up some attention and that we're here able to share our thoughts and, and our experiences on building this for you guys. Wonderful. Well, we're very glad to have you. And uh, Pam, I know you didn't submit a game to the jam, but you are a fairly prolific game creator. So um, why don't you tell us a little about your company and your games as well? Yeah, hi. Uh, yeah, I'm Pam. I think a lot of you guys might know me as Pamu or the Dovetailer. I have been designing since maybe last year. Uh, most of my works were actually hacks of PTBA and Forged before, but I, then I started going into OSR and some more traditional design. Lately, I've been hired by uh, a few... Well, I got published in Aspire, so that was my first major work. Uh, I think that's what a lot of people might recognize me for now. Um, but even before design, my main preoccupation was really community building. So I admin and handle a lot of spaces in the Philippines in particular, and I'm really enjoying the time that I've had in RPGC, which has been extremely fruitful and very transformative for me. Uh, generally, um, I'm a bit busy in commissions land, but I'm hoping to get back to my old stuff. I'm working on a few bigger projects, and I'm also trying to refine my main PTBA game called Sundo, 
which is called which is about psychopomps and how they ferry souls to that uh, from from their living life to the afterlife. So that's a bit of a thing. Um, I don't really know how to encapsulate my games, but I guess it's always about trying to find a space for myself. So whether it's about queerness or it's about being Asian or Filipino or just seeing something white and going like, okay, I can't really fit myself in there. So I think that's generally what I try to do. Well, I think that leads really well into our, our first question for everybody. Uh, so we got a really great question from Guanzan. Um, since this is the uh, sort of the Asian martial arts jam by Asians, uh, why don't we talk about uh, everyone's individual relationship with martial arts, and then, and then a heavier question with Asianness in general? Uh, Pam, uh, why don't you start since you sort of like were headed that way? Oh, what what's interesting is I got invited to manage the jam after people had conceptualized it, particularly with Sam and with Arthur. Both of them were, were kind of fielding out questions to our community going like, how do you guys feel about a jam like this? Do you think that people would submit a lot? Do you think that it means a lot to you? And the reception was pretty amazing, mostly because everybody looks at an Asian face and they expect you to kind of just know this sort of thing, that you're supposed to be miraculously good at combat sports, that you're supposed to have some sort of weird, deep, intimate connection, because uh, it tends to be, I guess, exotified a lot. But for many Asian people, at least this is what I'm seeing around, for a lot of Asian people, especially if you're from Southeast Asia, that feels very strange because most people only recognize particular kinds of martial arts, namely if they're East Asian, which also minimizes the experience of Korea, of Japan, and China, that you're going to typify them that way. And then furthermore, uh, Southeast Asians tend to be already invisible by default, so you're kind of like thrusting the wrong kind of representation upon us. So in a way, setting up the jam was kind of a reclaiming as well where we were saying, okay, there's a lot of martial arts around there, but it's not just karate, it's not just Aikido, it's not just Kendo. We all have our own form of something that is unique to our heritage or something that means a lot to us. So when they asked me to host with the jam, I was like, sure. Um, I'll try to think of something, I guess, Filipino. <laughs> the concept that I wanted to do was more a parody at first of the school rivalry down here because there are four major schools in the Philippines that uh, that everybody fights through basketball basically and I wanted to make it like a fighting game setup but then it, it sort of evolved into a commentary on what's going on down here using blood sports which is also another political discourse so um, but going back to the whole gem idea we had hoped to give people the space to define what martial arts meant for you. It could be anything from the pulpy fiction stuff that you grew up on to actually practicing. It didn't really matter whether it was accurate or not. The point was to give an Asian author, wherever they were, a chance to make a game that was not uh, through a white lens, that was not exotified. It was their game and they got to talk about it and they get to put their, they get to put their name on it. So that was mainly, I guess, why we did it. Very cool. And the, uh, the entries that we've seen have been such an amazing display of that idea at work, too. There's been some really amazing um, takes on different parts of the martial arts, things that were really familiar to us and things that weren't. 
Um, so we're excited to get into some of that here in a little bit. But uh, Shauhan and Alana, would you also like to weigh in on this? Maybe Shauhan first. Um, okay, sure. So I guess like about individual experience with martial arts, right? Uh, and also what martial arts means to it's I feel like um, personally speaking, um, when I was a kid, pretty much like, I grew up in schools that were like martial arts is not divorceable from ethnicity uh, when I was growing up. Uh, and so there were elements of was it considered to be all right for a child who came from a southern Chinese background? to perhaps pick up a martial art that wasn't uh, ethnically Chinese. So th those, those conversations were inside there because we also have issues of cultural contamination, insularity, and all those other things that come in. So I, I personally came from a high school that was uh, very focused on traditional Chinese uh, virtues. And there were some connections over to... So like, you know, it's the kind of things where you learn Confucian uh, uh, you will learn con uh, Confucian principles are baked into the syllabus of the school when you grow up as a kid. So like loyalty, uh, honesty, all the kind of uh, stuff that you don't really think about very much and you get a bit older and you take those things for granted. So the first time I had in contact with martial arts was very much of this issue of I really wanted to pick up uh, something like maybe karate, uh, but what happened was that uh, those options were expensive basically for me growing up. Right. So uh, it was cheaper for me instead to basically kind of like get my, kind of like cut my teeth on uh, southern Chinese stuff because uh, it was A, cheaper, B, uh, it was av available within school. So I actually uh, kind of like uh, spent a couple of years in lion dance and that's actually my introduction to martial arts, mostly southern uh, Chinese lion dance and so there were many times of like uh, you know all the martial arts movie tropes of you do something wrong you go into horse stance you sit stand there for two hours and then uh yeah like standing on the basin and then putting the incense there and then it's like you know all right you're screwed up so you gotta stand there until the incense sticker lights out so those things were kind of like my everyday reality because the, te the teachers who taught me grew up watching those Shaw Brothers, King Who movies, right? So basically, I will get acculturated that way as well. So I guess my idea of martial was that it wasn't glamorous. It was actually more of like a, almost like a punishment. It was like a, the idea of like, the, I mean, the Chinese word like Kung Fu is like really labor. It's like laborious. It's like I'm sitting up there and I never developed much into uh, lion dance beyond playing the cymbals, learning the drums and essentially standing around and helping gather things. So my, uh, it was a very very much an expression of culture, I guess. And so, uh, and what was beaten into my head was basically, if you get into a fight and use any of those things, you, you wish that you lost the fight because the, the sifu would beat you up, basically. So that was the kind of extremely kind of logic that we had, the, 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 that, that kind of thing. And I guess for Asianness, I think I'll just segue from that into Asianness. It's like, uh, there was this very strong idea, I guess, that also comes from the post-colonial aspect of 20th century, this was the late end of the 20th century when I was picking up martial arts, was that um, the East, or in this case, like China, might have basically, uh, there was a whole history of colonial heritage and losing in the war. So, and of course, the training came in was more wushu-based rather than combat application. So there was a kind of like scoring points as well as you have to refine yourself. You have to be better. Again, the confusion and uh, uh, ideology that kicks in is like, you know, you might be defeated, but you cannot become a uh, savage. You cannot become someone who is a, a, a brute. So I think for me, there always the idea is not so much of violence and also mastery, but more of like, how do you basically 
compose yourself and then uh, hold yourself under pressure. So I think coming from uh, school and the first exposure of martial arts was as a youth, I think to me, martial arts and Asianness is always the idea of if we're supposed to be so good at punching and kicking, how do we lose so many wars in the 20th century before that? And that the processing of this kind of like unpacking of uh, I'm supposed to be really good at fighting, but what happened? And so the imagination of Bruce Lee, of Jackie Chan coming from media and the idea of like, you know, you can be the wounded, but you have to still be have a moral high ground somehow. So that, that's pretty much martial arts and Asianness to me, I guess. Yeah. Thank you very much. And Alana, what about you? Um, I have to say that my relationship with martial arts never really got past the you know, initial taster classes of Muay Thai and kickboxing, I guess. Um, uh, you know, most of my exposure to martial arts came from movies that my dad really liked to watch, like, um, you know, Once Upon a Time in China, uh, it mine so you know so I would sit there with him and watch it uh, and I, I guess the older the, the later it mines um, were really big here as well in Singapore uh, you know people were lining up at the cinemas to, to catch that uh, but other than that um, I also grew up in a, I also attended high school that was um, very focused on Chinese values and our school is actually famous for our Wushu team. So this, so this Wushu team would put on performances during you know, big festivals like Chinese New Year um, and, and other school, big school festivals. Uh, and I guess there was a big exposure for me as well because uh, there was always a lot of explanation of what was going on. Like, okay, so this is um, you know, certain type of fist. Uh, this weapon is XYZ, and then um, I guess that's kind of like my exposure to martial Chinese martial arts from there. Um, as for Asianness, I think this is a very kind of sensitive question for a lot of people in Singapore, maybe because we grapple with a lot of uh, you know our colonial past um, and how we've moved from a certain sort of um, you know, when we do a contrast of what Singapore culture is versus uh, maybe our other Southeast Asian counterparts, um, a lot of people will say that maybe we don't have an Asian culture, so to speak, like a lot of it is uh, influenced mostly by the West. Um, so I guess that's a question I grapple with, like what is, what is being, what does Asian mean to me, uh, being Asian mean to me? Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have a good answer for that. Yeah. That's totally fine. Um, all those answers, I think, collectively paint a really interesting picture of the jam and its participants. Uh, I think next question we want to have is for Pam. Um, you were one of the organizers of this jam. You talked a little bit about uh, collaborating with Sam and WH Arthur about how this is going to come together. Um, from your perspective, what was the best case scenario for this jam? Uh, how, what were the organizers picturing? Like, what were you hoping to get out of it? And do you think you achieved that? We were hoping just to give people a space when it comes to discussing martial arts and grappling, I guess, with their identity towards it. It resonated a lot with me when Xiao and Alana were mentioning the colonial past, because that is also a thing that we have down here in the Philippines. And uh, to add also, um, 
foreigners have a very interesting relationship with Filipino martial arts. Uh, they tend to only assume that there's one kind when in fact uh, Arnis and Eskrima and all that is just this entire range, you know, and it doesn't even uh, begin to talk about the other forms that come from the other islands because we are an archipelago after all, but everybody only talks about one area. So uh, we wanted to give people the space for that, to, to not feel shy and to not feel like they had to be an expert in their own culture somehow to speak about it because uh, specifically, and this might come up uh, with uh, in the other discussions here, but specifically we did not want people grappling with the idea that they weren't allowed to talk about martial arts when frankly speaking, everybody seems to talk about Asian martial arts except Asians. And that's not fair. Uh, we, um, Arthur, Sam and I all agreed okay, we are going to make sure that the jam is restricted only to people who are Asian. We will not allow anybody else to do it. It's not enough that you have academic knowledge. It's not enough that you trained in this your whole life. You have to be from here. There has to be some kind of honesty system going so that at least people can have fun and feel safe and not feel like they're talked over. And that's an extremely important part in design, given that even outside of martial arts, many designers, especially from uh, RPGC, the Southeast Asian side, we don't get a lot of representation anywhere. I mean, I could go forever about it, right? So with some things that is such a hot button topic like martial arts, where it is the, I wouldn't say number one, because I don't think I can make that conclusion, but it's one of the biggest orientalized, exotified topics about Asia in general. And we wanted to take that and go, okay, here, have it back. Talk about what you want. We're not going to put any restrictions on it. Just if you have an idea for this game jam and you're Asian, go ahead. And I really feel like we, we achieved that. The entries themselves are so fascinating. Uh, I also saw a lot of Twitter talk about people who didn't quite make the jam deadline, uh, but then they managed to kind of like squeeze in at the last minute. And it was also fascinating on a personal level to see uh, the struggle because people were again wrestling with the idea, is it okay for me to talk about this? Um, and do I have to be an expert on it? Do I have to actually practice martial arts to design a game? And then people started loosening up around the, maybe the 15th day of the jam submissions or something where they were like, no, but what, what about martial arts movies? What about meditation exercises? What about weaponry? What about the cool stuff we watched as kids? That's also martial arts. And that was when people started feeling a lot more confident. So seeing that for me was very empowering. I didn't make the deadline, but the fact that now that I'm thinking of the game is a big thing. And I know a lot of other people feel the same way and they're still working on their stuff and they fully intend on posting it because they have been allowed to do that, or at least that's how they feel. So, yeah. That's, that's amazing. And that's, that's what we wanted to do here, uh, is just let y'all talk. Um, so while we're still on that, um, do you have uh, an entry that was just really compelling that, that didn't make it into the panel uh, today, uh, into the two sets of panels that, that you might want to highlight? Um, you know, you say that the, you know, all the people from uh, the, the RPGC, uh, you know, group doesn't get a lot of attention, and I agree with you. So let's, let's, let's big up maybe a couple people. Uh, let me open that up, because I was just staring at the page a couple of days ago and trying to figure out what I like. 
I remember being super stoked about Nana's entry, Karis in the Dream, because that is a sphere of martial arts that I know nothing about. I only hear about my neighbors saying, we have this cool thing or we have this great style, but nobody really talks about it. So when I saw that entry, I was like, okay, cool. I'm definitely going to read through that. Uh, a cute one that I really liked, which is not really RPGC, but it's a great play on all those silly tropes you get in martial arts. It's a, a Worse Today by, oh there, Ajay and John, who I hang out with a lot on, on another Discord, where in that game, you play the poor crew of a restaurant. And you know how in martial arts movies, that's usually the places that get trashed the most. And people are just like, oh, look at this massive property damage. What are they going to do with it? So in that game, you play the crew that's like, okay, can you tell the heroes to maybe trash the other restaurant because we're so done with this already? Or you go like, no, 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 this is great. Let's, let's try that. And that's such a cute little play, right? Uh, the other thing that I liked, of course, was uh, Ki Musubi from Ninja Penguin, uh, mostly because it was... It, I like the idea that you could write a game about Aikido and it made me want to write a game about Arnis, even though all I could do is fangirl Arnis. Like I've never actually practiced it beyond the SEM in school, uh, but I have a lot of friends who are into it and the whole intimacy of contact and the interplay, the tourneys and the passion behind it. So it was nice seeing like little entries like that. Uh, beyond that though, generally everything just looks so inspiring. I, I couldn't even... At one point, I was a bit intimidated going like, but where do I put myself in? Because all the entries look so cool and they look so personal, which was, I guess, the main thing that I really wanted to highlight with people. Just read everything if you can, because people just went out there and said, here's my martial arts entry. Enjoy it or don't because I made it. So I, I, I don't really know where to start there. Certainly, yeah. This uh, jam panel came together really quickly. So before the panel, we've only really had time to review the games that are being discussed today. But there are so many cool games on the panel or on the jam, and uh, there's a link to the jam in the show notes. For, so for everyone who's listening, go check out all the games. Uh, they're all worth your time. I'm very excited to read the rest of them as well. Uh, I have a question here from a listener, Nick Butler. Uh, he, this is about Hua Chuan. He says, I wonder, Hua Chuan being inspired by fighting games, were there specific games that inspired you? Uh, this is sort of open for either Shaohan or Alana. I, I guess I'll, I'll take, that, uh, take that one. So, um, yeah, we, we use a lot of this uh, rock, paper uh, rock and scissors. And uh, so our, the whole thing of the tree was basically based upon how in fighting games, a lot of times you break down directional awareness, spatial awareness into three fronts, right? So if you play like something that's more based on, like, say, I guess, a HEMA, uh, like for honor, you have basically, so do you parry, put your guard to the front, to the back, uh, to either sides. Uh, or if you go a bit older, you go over to PlayStation 1, you got like Bushido Blade, right? You got a high stance, you got a medium stance, you got a low stance. And like, uh, so it's like that, 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 that I think was a big influence on that, uh, as well as it just seemed like, um, being able to do this was actually very much of like a, it looked like a useful mechanic that we could use to simulate spatial awareness and also like uh, looking at stances. So I think in terms of video games, those uh, fighting games, those are, those are in there. And also I think the ridiculousness as well as the outright uh, 
performative nature of like uh, big attacks that you see in let's say Street Fighter, King of Fighters, uh, Samurai Showdown, basically like a, uh, which is uh, telegraphing your attacks because it looks better on the screen, right? So <laughs> like for example, like uh, the name like uh, Hua Chen is like, you know, it's actually, like, my dad was very amused because it's actually slang for the game that you play inside karaoke uh, when you're drunk throwing 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 your hands at each other going, ah, and then like it's time for you to drink and everything so it's like you know i usually get into more and more states of uh so it's actually even our name of the game is actually a a bit of like a, a description of uh we're throwing our hands basically and then that's also a slang back over to uh how we use it in the west right it's like you know throwing hands showing your hands basically so it's a triple time play of on, on words there for us and i think the video games that then inspired that was also ideas of um people always assume i mean a lot of fighting games really about well, showcasing the beauty of certain things and we are fighting not because we want to get victory but uh some people play it very meditatively all right i got to do my combo and i have exactly half a frame to do something to cancel this animation and you see people just putting quarter of the quarter into the arcades and playing maybe like tekken or something to do a certain combo loop and um, that idea of it was basically the performative nature of this martial arts was actually a huge part for us in making Huashen. It's like basically right now in various quarantine lockdowns, uh, I guess it's easy for us to play with this mechanic that's visible and also to reach people remotely using this. So in terms of, I guess, design, it was uh, fighting game-wise, it's also those head-to-head -head fighting games that you queue up in a lobby and wait for someone to show up and then you interact with someone mostly through this and then you become friends. You lose, you put in, put in, put, put in more time and then it didn't show that you, you sucked. It's just basically, maybe it was luck, maybe it was skill, who knows, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hope that, I hope that that kind of makes some sense about, about, about fighting games. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's great. Uh, we forgot to prompt you to tell us about uh, oh, what okay. Hua Chuan is about. Uh, Alana, <laughs> okay. could, could, could you maybe take over with that? Uh, and then um, and then we can prompt you with another question. Sure, no problem. So basically, we wrote Hua Chuan as a two-player role-playing game. So each player, you are a martial artist, and the two of you are in a duel now. And if you think about you know all the slightly hammy um, fighting games and Hong Kong martial arts movies that you've seen, you are one of those people. And in here, you get to choose your battle stance, you get to appraise each other, you get to choose a tradition that has some, um, you know, we wrote them based on real life uh, tr tradition, school, schools of uh, martial arts. And then you fight with each other using, instead of dice, um, rock, paper, scissors. Except that we called it here uh, rock scissors cloth because that's how we call it in Chinese. Um, so the the trans the tra the literal translation of uh, rock paper cloth, not rock. Sorry, rock paper scissors for us. Yeah. So that is Huachuan. So Eli and I really responded to um, that rock paper cloth mechanic, um, but also the thing that jumped out to both of us was the the sign of affirmation. Uh, that you can do because it it transforms it from a uh, just a pure game to a collaborative experience. Um, so we want to know: um, Have you or anyone else had a chance to play the game? Um, and I'm curious about the narrative that comes out between the the actual mechanical bits uh, and kind of what 
what develops there and what you want to develop there. Right. So I actually haven't had a chance to play it properly yet, um, other than just kind of like playing the rock, paper, scissors mechanic part, uh, just to see how that works out um, with the bonus points. Uh, Xiao, how about you? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that basically, um, you know, like, to segue back to Pam just now, right? Pam was talking about like the, uh, oh, okay, there's entries that look like it wouldn't make it. So for, 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 for me, I must be very honest and it's kind of like, I was like uh, very busy with other things, with other work and then I was like, hey, I finally got a breather and oh, okay, I think it's two days and then I was like, uh, actually one and a half days to ending and I was like, hey, Alana, do you think we could rush this? And then Alana like, oh no. <laughs> and so, uh, so I will be the first to admit that uh, Afterwards, there were some mechanical points upon, like, after first blush, looking back at the game, then I'm like, oh, okay, I think there's certain areas that, uh, some broken code that could lead to problems, especially with the development of, like, losing, uh, where you're losing your options, I guess. In, in games, they use dice, it'd be a, a, a dice pool that's falling apart. So I must admit that uh, in terms of playing, playtesting, I playtested between myself and my, uh, and using random dice generators, uh, uh, at the beginning and also throwing hands at myself and trying to close my eyes and it was kind of lame. but like uh, <laughs> I would admit that the last part the secondary part about putting the different traditions that part wasn't as much uh, played out right and so I did get some feedback from, from people who played the game they, they bought the game and they, and they wrote over and said oh you know um, what happens when you run out of options then it becomes kind of like a, uh, it's then I was like, just thinking in terms of Marsha's movies like you know um that's what you say. Oh, like the come drink with me, right? You know, like the Cheng Pei Pei one, right? You know, like uh, when you get worse, like uh, or like those old movies where like the uh, Shu Hugs the Blade, which was the remake of the One Arm Swordsman, you lose options, but it gives you like you know your maimed, you're you're crippled by your experiences, but you're still fighting on in some way. And I must admit that that was something which inspired me aesthetically, but then in terms of mechanics, I just thought, oh, it'd be cool if we made it such that you can no longer use a certain move. But that just brought me back to the late 90s and playing White Wolf Laps and standing down there and uh, having some Bruja throw the bomb at me while I had, and then I was like, what? What's this We Know Thai's crap? But, so uh, that was obviously something that I needed to play test a little bit more uh, instead of it becoming... Uh, Throwbacks to Vampire, the Masquerade Labs, yeah. <laughs> and uh, in terms of so of like fortune, I think like uh, what like the mechanics of it uh, from the question is that uh, how does the narrative play out between the mechanical moments of the affirmation, right? Uh, it also comes a lot from like in I think when I do something like this, it came a lot of like you know like deep experiences of having played other games, which kind of like uh, kicks in. So. Um, it comes in, I guess, a lot of playing Exalted, like, uh, I guess, decades ago, maybe a decade ago, where you have same teams, martial arts and supernatural powers, and then there was this whole, how many stunts dice is this worth? Is it good or not? So there's this economy going around of, like, uh, is it is there affirmation? Is there no affirmation? And then we get over to, if you look at uh, Grand Howard games, right? Like, you know, like one of the influences I posted there was Warrior Poet, again, about, like, hi, we're there doing impossibly beautiful things, and we are mostly, it's very meta, right? Like the players are playing the game and we are uh, uh, keeping the lifeblood of the attention economy up by applauding each other. And it's also that scene in Masha's movies where upon you punch someone and the person falls back because they slip and then instead of punching a person, you give them a hand to 
help this person up so that the beautiful duel could continue or you don't want to have the dishonorable victory. So I think the affirmation has ties to all those things. One thing to make the actual play experience connect to each other, especially in this time of... Uh, uh, anxiety of quarantines and COVID, right? Like, you know, like, hi, let's, let's connect to each other. Let's really, like, you know, uh, affirm each other. And also, because I think if it becomes entirely about fighting, each other trying to get an upper hand, and if there's no way to kind of like soften that, uh, I think the fun is, is, is not as... Uh, it becomes a little bit too naked, I think, on the battle for supremacy. Then we become like those bad guys in martial arts movies for whom... Killing and lethality is the most important thing. And then uh, the master rejects us. We don't get a secret technique. And then we become angry and antagonist. Yeah. Yeah, so I wanted to kind of like uh, lampshade that and work on like Remember, at the end of the day, this is still about uh, meeting hands and meeting and, and pulling something together, all that. Yeah. That's very cool. Thank you. One of the things that we liked about this sign of affirmation mechanic is that it creates, it seems to encourage a duel that begins off kind of cordial and complimentary, and then it gradually becomes more desperate as you lose your options. So it's really fun to hear how that story is intended to play out as well. Um, Pam, do you have any questions that you have uh, been kind of harboring away for Shaohan or Alana about this game or any thoughts based on what's been said so far? No, not really. I, when I saw them, actually, well, I'm, I'm a huge fangirl for my friends for once. So when I saw them submit, I was like, oh my God, they submitted something. So that was really just my main reaction, this visceral like, yay, designer, yay, friend, yay, plug everything, right? Because that's kind of my default setting. But I don't really have any questions beyond that. I love the idea of more two-player games, again, that are framed the way that we want them to be framed to kind of show people without really, I guess, telling them that, okay, this is how we would portray it. This is how you can try this narrative out. And this is kind of an homage to what we know. And if it's familiar to you, great. If it's not familiar to you, well, it's our story. So I don't really have any questions beyond that kind of, again, response of joy, I suppose, for another story like that. Sure, sure. Um, this is an interesting question from one of our listeners here. Uh, it's Alex Guerrero, and he asks, uh, which fictional martial art or style from wuxia, shansha, anime, etc., would you practice if you could? And I thought about this question when Xiaohan mentioned that the martial arts styles in Huachuan are based on real styles. So maybe you two could tie it into that somehow. Let me think. So I was thinking about this question earlier, like uh, which fictional martial art or style would I practice? Um, you know, I, I think that if I had the chance to, if I were younger and fitter, I want to be, <laughs> I want to fight like Chun-Li. So, you know, Street Fighter Chun-Li with the legs, with the um, lightning kicks. And we have a, I mean, I think Street Fighter fighting styles are kind of also based off or influenced or inspired by real life things. So there is a move called Wu Wing Jiao, Shadowless Kick. Um, I guess that's kind of, it's not fictional, but I think <laughs> that's something, I, I mean, I would, I think that that's something that I would like to master I would, if I could have, yeah. How about you, Sean? Um, I guess like, um... I mean, like a 
for the martial arts being based on like in Hua Xuan about being based on real martial arts. There's a very strong emphasis for me on like stances because I mean like um, for Singapore it's like uh, for the men have to usually have to go through a period of uh, compulsory conscription, right? So that's when you basically kind of like, all right, you have all this like, uh, all right, uh, then you have the really unglamorous nature of actual combat training where you're just running <laughs> and you're just basically carrying sandbags and you're just like, uh, you're taught to punch without a stance, basically, because that telegraphs and this, that big wind-up allows you to see. And so that, that the idea I had of like combat being this beautiful ethereal thing, Plus the terrifying demands of cardio upon my body was something at the age of 18, I was like, oh my God, I hate this. I don't, I don't want to train anymore. I thought I trained. This is ridiculous, right? So, but I think for me, that idea of internal cultivation of like uh, uh, came in, I guess, because I'm talking about cardio or stamina, right? So um, I think um, if uh, something, uh, it would be a bit of a tie up between that, that, that thing you get from the Louis Cha, the Jin Yong kind of stuff, like the... Right? That basically the, the, the inner cultivation of like uh, energy because I guess there's so many quality of life enhancements with like, uh, oh right, being able to breathe better, being able to what, you get that today in like other kind of like media with anime like Demon Slayer where it's like breathing and being able to transform your, 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 your life, right, basically. It's like, so, or in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, it's like all the hamon, right, basically. So I guess something that is about breath control and about improving your health, some martial like that is a pretty big for me, and I think the second one is also um, those martial arts, right? The fictional martial arts of transcending uh, weapon use uh, and having a certain kind of a practical everyday wisdom, like you know, the sort of no sort. And uh, so you get a lot of that for again in Louis Cha, but then there's also the Taoist idea of like emptiness as well, right? It's, you know, like of letting go of things. So being able to go through problems without fetishization of uh, violence or tools of violence because I've had there's a phrase in Mandarin which I think that's like, which is basically to enter the fire and become a demon right it's like a uh, to, for like a basically to enter states of uh, maybe psychotic uh, states in the martial arts tropes when somebody practices a forbidden martial art and I guess IRL I've seen people who become very obsessed with this really beautiful tools of violence until they see everything as can I defeat you or can, or can you be defeated by me? So they only see that. And I think that for me personally, uh, what would be a great fictional martial art would be the capacity for martial arts to transform people's uh, violent urges into some kind of uh, transcendental experience. I don't know. But I think that's my wish fulfillment, basically, that, uh, that these things existed and that we could be more chill and not be dominated by, by, by attempts to become higher than others. That's an amazing answer uh, from from everybody. <laughs> and Pam, did you have any thoughts about that as well? Uh, I'm. I guess I'm. If people ask me what kind of fictional martial art I'd have, uh, if we were going to talk fighting games, because I used to be a huge fighting game dork, Melia Rage from Guilty Gear and the fact that she can kill people with her hair—that was that's great. Like I'd love that stuff. Uh, but on, if I'm to kind of analyze myself I suppose when it came to fictional styles and how anime does it because anime was a huge influence on my life I've always been fascinated by being able to summon any tools that you might need at hand like that whole excessive extra stuff where you have like a million blades or whatever and I think that that was more um, it's more an exercise on my part to try to reclaim the idea again that 
I can get whatever I want right at the moment to get the job done, whether it's violence or it's saving a friend or it's, it's, uh, it's a show of power or force or strength. It's a physical, concrete manifestation of that. So that was the kind of, that's always appealed to me. And then, of course, when you talk martial arts, I had to kind of think about, like, why do I like that stuff? <laughs> but, of course, as uh, when Alana was talking about, if I was younger and more fit, I'd do this. I think if we had to break it down, I would love to to see more and practice more of the kind of awesome Filipino martial arts things that you can see in video games. You don't really get that very often. I know that there was some, I think, Josie Rizal in Tekken, but I'm not really, I don't really follow that anymore. Uh, then there was even Tali, I think, before that, where you had her practicing some of our eskrima, and that was great. Uh, I I used to really love the idea of taking up kendo, but that was, again, because I was a little weeb when I was younger, so anime was a thing, you know? But now that I'm more comfortable in my own skin, if I can't manifest a thousand swords, I might as well learn how to do arnis, right? Or um, I forgot the name of of this, and I don't think it's actually been portrayed in anime or any kind of series yet, but I know that part of Philippine martial arts is actually using a sarong. So you just have these people wearing a sarong and you could wrap your enemy in it, you could confuse them and spin around and it becomes this beautiful idea of a dance. Some of my friends told me about that and I was just mind blown when we were drinking over that I would love to learn how to do that. You wear this beautiful cloth and you could literally just spin your enemies into oblivion. That's like, that's amazing. So I guess that wraps up my end for it. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, so we've been talking uh, a lot about um, a lot of the, the, the drama and the exciting parts of martial arts. Uh, but our, one of our listeners, John Cole, uh, asked, and I think Xiao touched on this, uh, what are the undramatic parts of martial arts that Wuxia uh, and martial arts fiction in general typically glosses over that you'd love to see highlighted in a game? So I guess, Xiao, when is the uh, horse stance carrying sandbags game coming out uh and why don't you talk about that oh okay sure um so okay so kind of like uh, on my own end it's like uh, i feel like uh, what the sandbags game it's like uh, i tried to recently improve my get band of fitness so i i was working in a game store for a while so i was doing painting of miniatures and stuff and one of the Warhammer guys was actually one of a karate tournament scores. So I said, okay, I'll pay you some cash and could you be my personal coach? This was last year. And so kind of like just doing all the runs and all the bear walks and all the MMA type drills basically just convinced me that, okay, I should learn to walk before I try to run. And I could hear old Shifu's kind of like laughing at me as I lay down there sweating on the tarmac, right? So I guess the undrawing parts of martial arts, uh, that's the sandbag game, right? It's like, um, and this ties back over to what Pam said earlier about orientalization and, and exoticization because I think it's part of the territory is like uh, that that we that we have to grapple with, especially if we watch like uh, Jackie Chan movies, right? It's like you know <laughs> like, 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 like my mom basically likes the old Wang Fei Hong. So, you know, the old one, the one before Jet Li, right? And the old Cantonese guy basically looking very grump grumpy. And then it's like um you have the whole issue of discipline i think and like uh when like uh, also like a lot of things that's going on today if you look at it from uh, with a modern eye you'll be like oh my god this instruction style is totally abusive this will never pass the irb right so um what what i feel is like there's a need right i feel to maybe a opportunity to 
de-exotify perhaps some of the weird practices. I have some early RPG stuff here from third edition D&D in martial arts in which it talks about strange routines to put people through so they will gain like, you know, all around situational awareness and stuff like, you know, which is already came from Drunken Master basically, you know, all the beggars basically trying to steal his chicken and kick him in the nuts. So um, I feel like uh, maybe looking at training and looking at, for example, understanding fatigue is something which is not very glamorous, but I feel uh, could basically come in. So if you look over at Cobra Kai and a Karate Kid, right, it's like, you know, like uh, one of the things that it always juxtaposed in that show is how um, Johnny Lawrence is honest, but maybe too blunt with his students. So he doesn't kind of do like, all right, you guys have to condition yourself uh, by cleaning my car, right? But then, like, you know, Mr. Miyagi, who's usually depicted to the scene, does things subtly, indirectly, and uh, kind of like through, uh, you do it first, and you just follow the master. You trust in the master that what they do. So I think, like, um, today, I don't think people would go very well with, hi, come here and do 20 hours of random tasks that I've asked you to do in the belief that that will improve you. You, you have like so many dojos and uh, chain kwans that you can go to that you don't have to follow this anymore. So I think an aspect of basically maybe the student's perspective of making sense of things is a very unglamorous thing. And the teacher's HR management of looking at your students and seeing what strengths they might have and how to work with that is actually pretty much uh, something which uh, could come out as the sandbag uh, horse stance uh, RPG. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great, Alana. Do you have a do you have a, a particular unglamorous, undramatic thing that you might want to see highlighted? I was just thinking about what Shao said with regards to Jackie Chan, and you know, in a lot of his movies, he shows uh, the blooper reel where he falls through glass, breaks some bones. Um, obviously, that's kind of dramatic in itself. But that's also part of what we were calling, what we we're talking about in the chat, right? Like uh, training montage, the game. So you have to go through all of this training business to to uh, to be a master in martial arts. But I, I was just thinking, like um, you know, we go through when we play RPGs, we do all these fetch quests for people, kill twenty rats to get to the next quest. Um, maybe maybe there's something in there that we can we can create into a game. I don't know. Would, would people buy it? Somebody would, I'm certain. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Um, and Pam, anything from you about undramatic parts of martial arts or wuxia that you'd like to see highlighted? I would definitely, just for the record, buy a training montage RPG, just because that's that's genius, honestly. And you could make fun of so many shonen manga tropes there. Like, I'm just having flashbacks to all these dumbass ideas about it um and even the fetch quest would be great uh, especially since there's that meme going around before of uh jrpg starting with fetch the cat then like the final chapter is kill god like whoa you know <laughs> stuff like that um other unglorious things i would really call it unglorious but more of glossed over too much the fact that most real well all martial arts that i know of at least are founded on life principles, on ideas that surpass the violence. Everybody just focuses on the cool moves. Like Shao was already talking about performativity, about uh, just the, the tools for the job on my end, right? Maybe more focus on that would be interesting. And also 
the aftermath even of of being an amazing martial arts person there's so many narratives where uh, we have some superhero narratives where uh, what happens after you stop when you hang up a cape what's next like what happened to all the let's say ultra super violent martial artists in any series um when they're defeated, where do they go if if they don't die? Because there are a lot of manga series, for example, where nobody actually dies. They just kind of fade away. So what about that? Or what about exploring what it might be like for a fighter whose entire life has been determined by the exercise of violence, and now you stop that? Like, where do you go from there? Those would be more interesting stories to tell. Then also, since martial arts tends to have a strange relationship with, with gender, what about, uh, what about the women? What about the queer folks in there? Um, what are their stories with martial arts? How does that work? Where do they go? What are, what are they thinking? You know, maybe those aspects. So maybe less um, not glorious and more um, untold, I suppose, or understated or minimized. Those are things that would interest me. Very cool. Thank you very much for that. Um, we are going to wrap up this panel, but we have just a couple more. Uh, so we have one more question for you, and then we want to give you all a chance to plug your creations. So our final question is sort of just opening the floor. What final thoughts do you want to share about your game, about the jam, about uh, your experiences, and that sort of thing? So uh, let's start off with Alana. What, what do you have to say to wrap us up here? So um, I guess first off, thanks to the organizers for creating something like this. Um, you know, as part of RPGC, I think uh, we kind of banded together as friends, as uh, creators, because we knew that um, you know if we don't create the space for ourselves to make our creations, you know, for our creations and to make our voices heard, then who else is going to do it? So I think um, I think that was very important for us, uh, including this jam on um, itch as well as you guys. Thanks very much for inviting us on your podcast. Uh, for our game, um, I really personally enjoy using the rock, paper, scissors um, as a mechanic. Uh, I think it blended in with the title that we actually were grappling with for a while because it is um, kind of supposed to be a drinking game. Uh, Marchand might be fun after drinking as well. Uh, so, yeah, so that's that's what I have to say. What do you think, Shaw? I, I feel like um, the advantage of having so many jams, and so thank you for organizers, is that um, it also takes away a lot of the burden of uh, strain and stress of like performance anxiety, I guess. It's like, you know, um, like, you know, you're supposed to, this is like very freeing. It's like, it's a jam. So it's kind of, I get to be able to create an entire exercise around a mechanic and it helps me understand the craft better. It's like, all right, so I don't have to basically come in a preamble. I don't have to come in with like, oh, where is this? And there's no issues about whether is this an SRD or whatever. And then as, as a maker, it's so freeing, right? I can throw all that to the side and then I focus on like, all right, I just want this moment where we're six spaces away. We are looking at each other's shadows, each other's shoulders, each other's hands and eyes and what goes on from that? And then being able to make a micro RPG based on that, that I could potentially develop into something or someone could, I guess what's your more beautiful is could take this and put it as a resolution system within another game that maybe uh, if they have like a highlight for. Let's, let's have a special focus episode on martial arts tropes and then maybe the combat system becomes that. Then I think as a maker, uh, of games, right? I think this is a great privilege and it's also something that's unthinkable, right? Like, you know, you just put back 10 years ago, 20 years ago. It's like, and now 
there are some people with the base level of proficiency that you just say, hi, we're going to use uh, PBTA mechanics. All right, okay, it's a bunch of 2D6s and then we're looking at hits and we're looking at this, right? They have also people who no longer compare everything over to the big name products of like, okay, but why is this not D20? Nobody will ask that. Like, you know, that we're no longer at the age, right, where basically everything has to cast back to the very long shadow cast by the Coca-Colas of the industry, so to speak. And I feel like... Uh, there's a big flourishing for many makers. Like I'm actually quite uh, amused by, I think a lot of the deconstruction efforts that go on in jams like this as well. Like so on on our end, fortune there was some deconstruction because of the name and the and the and the hamminess of things. But there was also kind of like more like a loving. Uh, love letter over over to the genre, right? Then you also get into like for someone. I was also quite impressed by the Musubi game as right? so well, the Aikido one, because I I was like, okay, that's a practitioner. So that was actually a big influence for us. Like, okay, how do we focus in, zoom in on one aspect of mechanics or biomechanics, maybe? And then we of course have Sam who's coming in next week, right? Like you know, like, I'm like, oh no, this game, let's not play it, otherwise we'll get into trouble with the cops. Like, not meant to be played. And it was so it was so freeing to basically see games that were not meant to be played. Then we're like, okay, all the hangups were mechanics. Let's put that aside and let's just make beautiful stuff and then we can come back with a critical mindset later instead of creator mindset. Yeah. So I guess that's my skill. <laughs> and uh, Pam, what about you? I am... Um, yeah, I could, I could fangirl all day because uh, it was a game jam that convinced me that I could even produce uh, a game for other people. Uh, so whenever I end up being invited onto an organizing team for a game jam or whenever I make my own, this is kind of like a constant love letter to tell other designers, you know, people are watching now. If you think that people aren't going to buy it, you're probably wrong. You'd be surprised at the kind of downloads you get. And it's just extremely encouraging to see uh, that there is more acceptance, I suppose, for people having unapologetically political uh, agendas behind why they set up certain jams. So you can get like some jams that are just like, we want you to make one move. So the creative stuff is cool. But then you have other people like with this exercise where, okay, martial arts for Asians is not talked about a lot. So let's do this. Uh, the the other jam that I, that I did with a bunch of friends that also had an unapologetic thrust of this is our agenda was a uh, Hilagio jam. It happened last year. It was also, it was my way and my team's way of saying to other Filipino designers, if you are Filipino, then any game that you produce doesn't even have to be about a Philippines. This is welcoming your jam. And a lot of people wrestled again with anxiety, especially people from abroad. Uh, our diasporic Pinoys were like, but I don't feel Filipino enough. Is it okay for me to submit a jam? And us organizers were like, yeah, go ahead. And some of them did. And that was really nice to see. So um, I just hope that I'll be able to talk more about this sort of thing in the future and get more people designing because designing has helped me a lot. It, it's taught me many things. And if I can give even just a bit of that back to other people, then I'm going to keep doing it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, we're going to wrap up here, but I want to give uh, each of you a chance to uh, shout out uh, who you are, uh, a company, you know, your company, if you have one, um, and where people can find you so that we can experience more of the RPGC scene. All right. Uh, Erlana, do you want to, um, do you want to start off? Sure. 
So once again, we are the Curious Canvas. We're from Singapore. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we're actually very, very active. Well, not very, very pretty active on Facebook, uh, more so than Instagram. Uh, we also have a Patreon, uh, and every all our, ha our handles on all of those platforms is Curious Chimeras, C-U-R-I-O-U-S-C-H-I-M-E-R-A-S. So thanks very much for having us. I guess I'll jump in from there. It's like, um, thank you very much for giving us this time to speak today and to also speak with you and to learn from all, everyone. Um, we... In addition to making uh, uh, uh the big games that we're making, it's mostly, this one is, uh, we have a game called Mere Gods, which is mostly about animism in Southeast Asia. You can find it on our itch. Uh, and uh, we are, that's part of a game line that we're making, which is called uh, Tales of Sinrise. It's mostly about mysticism. There's a big issue of like going up the mountains to retreat from the world that you get in a lot of East Asian, South Asian, and Southeast Asian tropes about mountains and holiness. And it's also a game about, if you like Southeast Asian political theories, about ideas of patron-client relationships, of small empires, uh, of small nations, big empires, and the strange relations that exist. So it's kind of like colonial fantasy, post-colonial fantasy. It's like a, a perspectives of when you're smaller and less majestic and less powerful, how do you deal with the realities of a world plus fantasy and animism in there? So that's our big project that we're sort of working on. Yeah, and we hope to be able to present it to you guys soon. Thank you. And Pam? Uh, so yeah, that's that's Pam Punzalan, Pamu, the Dove Taylor. I have my own website, but most of my stuff is on itch. I also have a Patreon, so the Dove Taylor. Um, for in terms of big projects, I guess see you at the end of June. I am currently in commissions land. Uh, lots of exciting things are happening, but uh, I will have to, of course, set my own projects aside. I am trying to play test Sundo, so if anybody wants to check that PTB game out, it's still up. Uh, and I have everything that I do has community copies, so it's completely free. If you want to even just browse or if you can't afford it, if the price is a hardship, go right ahead. And in terms of maybe one big project that might be out hopefully by July. It's either my game about uh, cyberpunk Philippines where you all play families out to take over the president's throne. So that's a King is Dead hack that I'm planning. Then there's also another game where it's basically Sailor Moon meets Evangelion and you will be fighting in the wreck of uh, Band of Blade style. You're a whole bunch of magical queers out to try and save the world with your mechs and trying to wrestle with memories of the past and picking them up as you go along. So that's the thing that I'm hoping to get out by July. Thank you all so much. Uh, my heart's super full right now. Uh, I wanna thank you all for coming on to the panel and sharing all of your thoughts and your games with us. We really appreciate it. We want everybody to check that stuff out. Uh, but right now we're gonna wrap up, so goodbye. But also there's another panel coming up, so hang in tight. Hello everyone and welcome back. We have our second panel of the Asian Martial Arts by Asian Creators Game Jam uh, folks. We've got three more participants in the panel this this time. We have Aaron Lim, Samuel Mui, and Joaquin Savadera. We're very excited to have all three of them. We want to give each one of them a quick chance to introduce themselves and their games. So Aaron, why don't we start with you? Yeah, hi, uh, I'm Aaron. Uh, you can find me online most of the times I'm at 
Aaron Lime, E-H-R-O-N-L-I-M-E. Uh, and I made a game called Four Swords, uh, which is a game uh, about the journey of a, a martial arts practitioner um, through the, I, I put Four Swords, a stages, which is based on um, Jin Young's um, uh, novels. There's a, there's a side character in there who never appears um, and he has a tomb of Four Swords. Uh, so the game is based on that. Very cool, thank you. And how about we do Sam next? Uh, hi, my name is Sam. Uh, I go by any pronouns. Uh, I design games under Babblegum Sam. Uh, I've previously done podcasts and fiction under this. I still do podcasts and fiction under Babblegum Sam. So, general uh, title for me. Uh, my game is Longkang Warriors versus Padang Knights. It is, uh, how do I put it? Uh, I don't know how to describe it apart from Malaysian, Southeast Asian school kids beating the shit out of each other in a park. Yeah. That, that, that's about it. All right, Joaquin. All right, so hi, I'm Joaquin Kyle Saavedra. You can call me Joaquin. I go by Liquor Canini uh, in most social media, and I also design under that name. Uh, I wrote a game called Karanduun, which means worthy of Kandu or epic song in Bisaya. Um, and it's about, it's a, it's a high-flying Filipino fantasy uh, tabletop RPG about young heroes rising up to kill God. Fantastic. All right. Uh, why don't we get started here? We've got a question for everybody. Um, and the, the question is the same one that we posed in the last panel, but uh, what's everyone's individual relationship with martial arts and more challengingly with Asianness and sort of the interrelation with those? Uh, Sam, why don't you start us off? Okay, uh, I'll be honest. Uh, even though I ran, the, I, I hosted the jam. I I'm not very emotionally attached to martial arts. I never I never studied it. I don't really watch a lot of martial arts movies. Uh, I'm blessed of a wuxia guy. Uh, I'm more of a Wong Kar Wai uh, person. So a lot of my actual Asian work is based off that. Uh, I'm actually writing some Wong Kar Wai stuff right now. Uh, or future release, but uh, hmm, I, I guess hmm, the reason I decided to host it because I wanted to see more, I wanted to understand uh, martial arts from like other people, other Asians' perspective, you know, like it's something that's a bit not foreign to me, but I don't, uh, I think I think I just want to facilitate people uh, talking about it, uh, yeah. So I'm not really the best person to comment on martial arts. But when it comes to Asianness, uh, I'm more of a, hmm, I, it's not really a conscious thing, I realize. It's just something that I have and something that I can only identify after. Like, I write something and go like, oh, hey, uh, looking back on it, hey, that's actually quite Asian, you know what I mean? Like, the way people talk about their emotions, uh, the way uh, we process our family, uh, how we... Our relationships with our family and our relationships with career and money, all that sort of stuff. I think that's very Asian. It's very, I, I think most of my stuff so far, it's not very, uh, I don't know, maybe on the surface level, it's not that blatantly Asian, but I think the fact that I'm writing it from my lived experiences makes it anything I do. Even if I write D&D fantasy, you know what I mean? It's still going to be Asian because I'm Asian and I write it. So yeah, that, that's about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that struggle is totally, to define it as totally legitimate. Uh, so don't, don't worry about it. I mean, that's, I think that's part of the reason that this panel exists. 
uh, and and the, the game jam. Uh, Aaron, why don't you take it up next and uh, and give us your experience? Yeah, cool. Um, similar to Sam, I guess I I don't actually I I never did any martial arts myself. Uh, um, and like prior to this, like I, I wouldn't have called myself someone who who's really invested in in Wuxia or martial arts genres. Uh, but actually, Sam, you mentioned Wonka. Um, Ashes of Time um, is also another Jin Young uh, based thing, and Tubuchi Wai is in that as well, if I remember correctly. It's been ages since I've seen it, um, so it's it's interesting you bring him up. Um, but yeah, so 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 I, I mentioned like before this, I didn't really think of myself as like. A primate, like a heavily uh, martial arts, uh, uh, heavily interested in that area. Um, but like it, in thinking about it, it's like it's always been kind of in the background. Um, uh, even as as like a kid, when when we were growing up in Malaysia, they used to show like TVB dramas uh, um, in the evenings all the time, and I watched a whole bunch of them. I watched. A lot of the ones that were based on uh, Jin Young, I can't remember with the other. There was another writer who's like really popular as well um, that had a lot of TVB adaptations, and I watched like a bunch of those, which I don't really remember anymore. Um, it's just kind of like in the background of of life. It's like, oh yeah, actually, I did end up watching like a whole bunch of like um, martial arts movies. Like all of us, like growing up, we watched Wong Fei Hong movies, um, all the Once Upon a Time in China stuff um and even like the the tossing chi the, the Stephen chow movies a lot of them uh even before uh leading up to to um i guess people would know him from from shaolin soccer and kung fu hustle um like there's a lot of like martial arts stuff like seeded throughout and like in in all in all um like hong kong movies as well even if you don't focus on the wuxia stuff there's also like the jackie chan um samuel hong all that stuff um and um, I read a lot of, uh, I didn't read a lot, but I read comics, uh, like Wuxia comics as well. Like, in fact, like the main uh, way that uh, I got into like Jin Yong stuff is actually through a uh, comic. I actually have uh, one. I, I went back home and like grabbed a copy um, uh, of the comics. Um, there's a company in uh, Singapore called Asia Pack. I don't know if they still publish stuff, but um, I read their, uh, their adaptation of The Return of the Condor Heroes. Uh, that was quite influential uh, in terms of um, uh, martial arts um, comics, just because uh, there, there were a lot of uh, martial arts comics in Malaysia, uh, but I, even though I'm, um, I have a Chinese background, I can't read Chinese well at all. Um, so I would have read the Malay translations. Um, and because I don't know if, if anyone else read or tried to read um, um, like the Hong Kong comics, like distribution in Malaysia is like pretty difficult. It's not like, like you, would, you would have like, you know, issue 24, 25, and then 38. Uh, you, you wouldn't know where you would be able like you'd have to be pretty dedicated to like try and um pick those up regularly or like have a regular comic bookshop uh, hookup for those um so I, I wasn't like i was aware of them um and i knew like all the the Wing sing and um tony wong stuff is it tony wong um but never really, really followed them in detail. And, and it's like really surprisingly hard to find a lot of information on that in English online as well, surprisingly. Um, 
so that's kind of my my uh, uh, history with martial arts or and and the genre as like a storytelling thing. Um, in terms of Asianness, like I, I mentioned before, I don't speak Chinese. Uh, I, I I mean, it's pr pretty common among among, among like people in my situation. Um, I grew up in a primarily English speaking household. Uh, so like my connection to, to my Chinese heritage is, is complicated um, being like diaspora and, um, and also being in a family that, that like my, my dad went and uh, studied in the UK. And so when he brought us up, he wanted us to speak English because that's, that's, that's his, um, that was his idea of like, you know, how to get a hit in the world. And so um, I did like try and learn Chinese, not, not, not through my own choice. Um, but what I learned in Chinese classes was basically how to build, like how to, how to put um, infantry and fire bats into bunkers in StarCraft. Um, that's the main thing I remember from Chinese class. Uh, um, so, so the, 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 like I, I can't, there, there's no denying I'm Asian, like I'm Malaysian, but like there's, a, it's a very particular um, experience, uh, especially growing up and, and being online uh, in the English world, uh, in the English speaking world, and like, like trying to form yourself and define yourself um, in relation to all of that growing up and, and even now. Um, I, I, I've lived in Australia. I, I studied there and worked there and lived there um, for close to 15 years. I only moved back to Malaysia permanently recently. So um, yeah, like like there are very many different um, formations of, of, of Asian-ness and, and the, the um, you know, go, go learn English, get out of, get out of the country. Um, try and try and um, get something out of that um, is is one one part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, Joaquin, uh, why don't you uh, give us your experiences? Yeah. All right. So um, so with martial arts, I actually grew up on on movies like you know, uh, Kung Fu Hustle, uh, Ip Man, um, and uh, I have an intense love for fighting games, so like Tekken and um, Tekken, Blaze Blue, Guilty Gear, stuff like that. And especially with Tekken, Tekken had like a wide showcase of different martial arts from different parts of the world, which I really liked. And Tekken is super popular here in the Philippines, so that actually kickstarted my love for um, for martial arts in general. Uh, Practice-wise, I've I've done karate before, uh, but that was when I was like a little kid. So I don't remember much of it. Um, and then I have, uh, I, I unfortunately graduated out of high school before uh, the nationwide implementation of ARNIS. ARNIS is the Filipino martial art. It's also the Filipino uh, national sport now. Um, and it's kind of mandated to learn in PE in, in high schools, but I'm not in high school anymore. So uh, I wasn't able to reach that. So yeah, a lot of I have a huge love for for you know those grittier martial arts stuff, uh, Ong Bak, um, uh, The Raid uh, was one of my favorite films ever, uh, and so you know that's I, that's why I really like uh, martial arts. Uh, as for um, Asianness, uh, what what Aaron said actually resonated with me a lot, 
uh, as a guy who lived in the mostly in the metropolitan area of uh, Manila. Um, there's a you know you're taught predominantly English, um, and you're taught to look to look up to the culture and pop culture of America. Um, and if you spend a lot of your time in the internet, which I, which I did, uh, most of the communities that you'll find here are American centric. So, you know, that, that also kind of shaped me when I was growing up. So at times I don't, I feel like, I feel like I'm apart, apart from my Asian-ness. Uh, I mean, as a whole, the Philippines kind of feels apart from its Asian-ness because, you know, it's a, it's a colony technically until now it's still a colony. Um, and, you know, that, that's what I feel even, you know, microcosm and macrocosm. But uh, recently, you know, I've been getting into, back into my roots. Um, you know, my family was never like uh, super international. Like they're still pretty grounded here in the Philippines. So to get in touch with my Filipino-ness or with my Asian-ness, I just had to look to them back to them because they grew up in the in the provinces which were which is where all the culture is i'm just saying if you grew up in metro manila <laughs> i'm just kidding but yeah uh so that's my that's my connection with uh with asianness very cool thank you very much um so sam this first question is for you and you touched on it earlier but as a jam organizer we're really curious how did this jam come to be? Who talked to each other and what did you talk about? And then just so you know, we did ask Pam this question as well. And she had mentioned that you and WH Arthur sort of collaborated together and then brought Pam on board a little ways into the process. So uh, we're just kind of curious from your perspective, you know, how did the planning go? What was the goal and, and how do you feel it turned out? Uh, it's not that there's not much to it. Uh, there's not much of a story to be honest. You know, I think I was just posting about martial arts. Then Arthur was like, oh, yeah, I like Asian martial arts in games. And I was like, oh, you want to do a jam? And we did a jam. <laughs> uh, hmm. uh, let's see. I think one interesting thing to bring up was who should we let submit to the jam? Because we wanted Asian voices, but uh, we didn't. Uh, we had a quite a long, not long, but quite, we had quite a discussion on like defining the parameters of who is allowed to, you know, s submit, you know what I mean? Like, uh, let's say you are white and grew up in Asia and you are very much immersed in the culture, like, would you be, would you, should you be able to submit to the jam and... We never, we never really decided on anything conclusive. We just said, okay, you know what? If you're Asian, no matter where you are, just submit. Uh, if there, any, there arises any issue or anything, we'll just talk about it and we'll decide on the case-to-case -case basis. That's what I remember. But yeah, apart from that, there's not much to it. Yeah, and then Pam, then like we, we got Pam in. Yeah, that's about it. Very cool. Thank you. Um, so next question we have here is for Joaquin about Karandun. So we noticed right off the bat that this is an epic, high-flying, galactic kind of game. Um, but one of the things that was really interesting to us was that you said in the early pages of the game that it is both pre- and post-colonial. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that means to you? Right. So... Um... When I was making Karanduun, I was having uh, some some personal epiphanies because uh, 
I'm actually I actually want to get into anthropology. Uh, currently, I'm in philosophy. I'm gonna shift over to that uh, field eventually. Uh, but I've been doing a lot of culture study, um, so you know, basically anthropology, the field of anthropology. Uh, and what I've come to to terms with when it comes to the Filipino culture, Filipino experience, is that a lot of it can't exactly be found like pre-colonial. Like the the Filipino identity is not is not like an actual like solid thing yet it's still something that they're learning that we're trying to find ourselves um so that's why when it comes to to karanduun uh when, when it came to karanduun i wanted to basically have like a satirized yet a satirized fantasy version of the philippines basically like it was this huge it was supposed to be this commentary uh, about the current philippine uh, situation um, as well as you know, it's 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 chock full of allegory. Like it's pretty obvious. It was heaven. Heaven was colonized. Stuff like that. Um, so when I say pre-colonial, uh, it it's inspired by pre-colonial because a lot of like the aesthetics I also take from uh, pre-colonial stuff. Um, and because if you look at it directly, a lot of the the Filipino values that we have now are actually actually came from pre-colonial values they just had like a like a facelift you know like in fighting games when you can change the color of of the fighter that basically what happened to to the philippines we just changed colors um so that's what i mean by pre-colonials and you know, we're the filipino people as a as a people are both pre-colonial and post-colonial post-colonial because uh i don't I, unlike you know other you know, pre-colonial only settings which don't look at the Filipino identity with the colonial, like, um, with the colonial baggage upon it. I try to look at the Filipino identity with the colonial baggage upon it because I feel like, um, I personally feel the Philippines isn't the Philippines without uh, the colonial parts of it. Um, so that's what post-colonial means. Post-colonial means, you know, it came from the, it came from the corpse of the colony of of uh of uh la isla de filipina and um you know it and it became this and you know it it's yeah it's basically my commentary about you know post colonial and pre colonial stuff nice um do you have are you making any particular commentary about um the the game's religious themes cuz like that popped out right right to me right yeah um the the when you look at the history, the primary primary tool for subjugation by the Spanish was Catholicism. Uh, it was really easy for the Filipinos, at least the, at first the Bisaya people, to convert to cap to Catholicism. And when they did that, it was endgame because the Bisaya people were, you know, like the best warriors in the in the island, so no one could fight back against them. Uh, but uh, yeah, basically, so um, I, I look at it this way: uh, the the religion that we have right now is something that is uh isn't actually roman catholicism even though they say it is it's you know it's filipino catholicism it's a mix of folk folklore and the religious beliefs of the filipino catholicism because you know we still call god batala uh which isn't god's name stuff like that so i think um that's what i that's what the the particular commentary on the games um themes are on religion is that you know this this uh when you look at the setting this setting is kind of the 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 new heaven which is destroyed 
is kind of inseparable uh, from you know from its from its colonial people because you know so much of them has seeped into this heaven, uh, which is what happened also to the Philippines. Like so much of Catholicism has seeped into the Filipino culture that it's kind of hard to or almost impossible to separate the the two of them. Um, so yeah, that's that's basically what I'm trying to say there. Oh, fantastic, fantastic, Aaron. Uh, you've been quiet for a little while, so let's let's bring you up into the spotlight. Um, so you you mentioned this character uh, Dugu Chubai as an inspiration from the, the Jin Yong novels. Can you tell tell us more about what inspired you to highlight this background character? Uh, so I guess I guess the the main inspiration is because I don't actually um, know that I don't I don't know the genre of like wuxia um, like the wide genre of wuxia very well. Um, I don't I didn't feel comfortable uh making a game that was like trying to encompass like so many different things um and so many different styles of wuxia and like and and so many different types of stories that are told within it uh so i decided to just focus down on one story that i knew uh well um and even then it's not well because i only read the comic adaptation of it i have not read the original novel or the you know um the other ad adaptations of it, um, and the character of Dugu Shibai, like stands out a lot because he he, I'm pretty sure it's a he. Uh, he appears in the Return of the Condor Heroes as a, a background character, but a very a pretty pivotal one because without learning his skills, the main character Yang Guo would not have been the person like wouldn't have like continued through the story the way it was. He picked up most of his like key skills from from Dugu uh, Dugu's lost teachings um same with uh i think he was in another jin yong story as well uh where that in that one it was like the nine swords of dooku i went with the four rather than the nine because it's easier um but like it's so it's it, as a as a storytelling thing it's really interesting that this character this character appears twice um as as a background character that's really important uh, and, and becomes kind of like a hidden master to the main character, uh, but he he never appears. He never directly passes down his his teachings, um, but also he's the undisputed like like best swordsman in in that that setting. Like everything that happens there, oh, Dugu already did everything, and like the the new hero who like who who currently is like super great also had to learn it from Dugu. So like. Like it's a really compelling idea to have this like background character um that that um that has such a strong influence on the stories but never appears um but his teaching that teaching does uh and also because in in the return of condor, condor heroes the this his story of the four swords um reflects Yango's um journey as as a as 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 the as the hero of the narrative as well, um, because like he you know he said the the first sword is the the one where he was going out and just challenging everyone as a young swordsman. The second one was was um, um, tragedy because he 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 was good and he killed people that he shouldn't have. Um, and then the the third one is the one that Yang Guo picks up, which is the heavy sword that's direct and blunt. And then finally, it's the sword of swordlessness where he just doesn't need a sword anymore i'm so great at swords i don't need them anymore um, and yango kind of follows the same progression as well as a, a young arrogant youth like he's 
you know, trying to prove himself in, in, in the world. Um, he meets a lot of different people and meets, you know, tragedy. He, he, he um, struggles with like, you know, one of the things that he wants to do is take revenge for his father. Uh, and to do that, he would have to kill a righteous man. And so he struggles with that, that, um, 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 uh, that idea of like tragedy in his life as well. And then he picks up the, the same thing. He picks up the, the heavy sword and, and does, you know, uh, uh, and like changes his philosophy to like, oh, I've learned all these things, but in the end, just, just smack someone with a big heavy piece of metal. That's, that's the best way to like deal with them. And then finally he also, like shifts towards swordlessness because like you know after that i think most of his techniques are all palm techniques like he rarely uses a sword um after that or or, or it's not the focus and like the idea is that he's learned and and grown as like a hero so like i, I always liked that parallel um between like the the four the four swords uh in the tomb and the story uh, and so that's why I decided I wanted to make a, a game like completely just around that journey. Um, uh, like just kind of like focusing down on like something that I can, I can um, use as a guide for a game and not, not try to get so distracted or like, oh, you know, what if I wanted a, a character that would do this part of Wuxia or like what, would, what if I wanted to reflect the more Xianxia stuff like with the, with the, um, um, more supernatural things or um, different staff techniques or whatever. Like I, I didn't want to get distracted by all that, so I just focused it all down and used that as as a um, like a design core principle. So it was it was pretty much just because like oh I wanted something and that was uh, compelling enough and interesting enough and like personally interesting as well because that was like one of my um, favorite like stories. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you very much. Um, this next question we want to pose to everybody, but I think it might make the most sense to have Sam uh, get the first right of response here. So the question is another one from Guanzan. How do you separate martial arts from violence, or do you even? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, this book, I think this meal will not separate it, but in terms of like how I process the world around me or even like process the stuff I read or process the my real life interactions uh or even and so and and the stuff I write uh I don't think anything can be separated from violence because violence is to me it's not uh just a physical thing like I think let's say you're about to punch someone like what goes behind you punching someone is it let's say your kid's on a playground and you have this grudge against another boy or girl or whomever, or even an animal, and you punching that person, it comes from a very, like, place of either hurt or dominance. So, like, martial arts can, I think, from what I understand of it, I think, because I, I am researching more into it now, uh, after the jam, uh, there is an art to it. There is a good way to preserve culture, to preserve disciplines, to preserve um, like uh, this sense of Asianness, this sense of identity. But at the same time, it is rooted in. It is inevitably rooted in 
violence that is emotional or systemic, like maybe, uh, like maybe it was created to def- as a way to defend yourself from someone else. You know what I mean? Then it sometimes implies like this system of dominance, this system of uh, emotional pain or hurt, where you want to try your best to protect yourself and the people you love, uh, and that means resorting to violence. Um, so yeah, in a sense, I think everything we do, whether it's even if even if we are on a date, right? I mean, we are operating within systems of violence where we are trying to get over our hurt, or we are trying to overcome our hurt, or we are trying not to hurt someone. You know what I mean? Uh, that's just how I pipe, how I personally process things. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Joaquin, do you want to you want to tackle this one? Yeah. So. This is a this is an interesting question that uh, that I was actually that I that I uh, focused on earlier as well. Um, for me personally, uh, at least in my games, at least and in how I view you know martial arts and combat and stuff like that, I don't uh, I don't exactly separate it from 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 violence. Like violence, the the thing about violence is that uh, when you look at its core, it's taking away. Uh, a cho- it's taking away choice from someone. Basically, it's taking away something from someone. So you know, um, systemic institutions, when they take away your choice to, for example, uh, be able to earn as much money as Jeff Bezos, that's a form of violence. Um, so I think uh, martial arts is just you know that that kind of that kind of violence in its most, uh, at least I would think, in its basest state when performed in martial arts uh, from violence. Um, and since it's at its basest state, it's also one of the easiest forms of violence to, to master, you know. Um, and I think if we master that form of violence, it can be used for good, something like that, you know. Um, it can dismantle systemic violence, uh, you know, violence to, dis- to dismantle systemic violence which is actually like a major uh, sort of theme or mood of, uh, of Karanduun. You know, it, it's make God bleed. It's all about, you know, inflicting violence because they, are in, they, because they have been inflicting violence on us for the past thousand years, something like that. So yeah, that's my answer. Very cool. And Aaron, any additional thoughts there? Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I have to come it more from from a point of martial arts stories which is not the same as martial arts um, because i personally don't have that that experience with martial arts or any form of um like co- uh, contact sport or like physical um uh a combat sport is what i meant um so i i don't have that that perspective of it not having practiced it not having um really immersed myself in that um but i I do know when I, I know when I think about martial arts stories, I, I think it is quite it it is inextric, inextricable from from the idea of violence because the these stories always have to to contend with the 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 threat or the consequence of of violence. Um, even even with with the like. Return of the Condor Heroes. I'll come back to that just because, like, that's the 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 the, the um, story that I based my game on. Um, it is essentially a a huge part of it. It's it's a love story, 
right? Um, uh, it's like, you know, star-crossed lovers thing, they can't be together. And so there's all these uh, um, uh, uh, challenges that they have to get through. Like that part of it, it is, it seems like there's no violence there, but like other people have, you know, other other people get involved in the story because like, oh, they also, um, they also, like, you know, there's another interested party and um, like, and violence arises from that. And, and I, I want to be very like open about this as well, because uh, like one of the, the big, parts of, of the story and I want to give a content warning here for sexual assault is that the main the the uh, one of the main characters is sexually assaulted as part of the as a key plot point in the story. Um, so 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 it, it is even in those stories like you can't, can't you can't kind of can't escape from the concept of violence there. Um, and like the other parts of the story is 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 about if I come back to it, like even even simple stories, like oh, I just want to be the I I think like the smiling proud wonder is one way. Like he doesn't want and like the main character kind of like doesn't want any responsibilities. Um, like I I have all this power, but I actually don't want any of that. Um, I want to live a life that is carefree and 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 without these these responsibilities put upon me. Um, but even that, he kind of has to back that up with violence because otherwise, people with will pull him back with violence. And so he has some sort of violence to, to back him up to be able to live a free life, you know? Like, to be able to fight off people who would say, no, come back. Otherwise, we'll send, like, our, our, our whole, like, all our friends to come and, like, drag you back into, into, into uh, the leadership ship, ship position that you're supposed to take. Um, you have to be able to back it up with a violence of your own to fight them off and say, no, I'm, I'm going to go and be free and be peaceful somewhere else. Um, so even those kinds of stories, like, like in the end, um, and, and like, like what Sam says, like martial arts stories are inextric inextricable from violence because our lives, our daily lives are inextricable from, from violence in, 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 in soft and hard and direct forms. Very cool. So it sounds like there's broad consensus among everybody that at the very least, violence is not exclusive to the martial arts and that there are a lot of violent causes and violent consequences that have nothing to do with, to use Sam's phrase, beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> but that makes a nice segue. Uh, Guanzan asks Sam, what's the inspiration for Long Kong Warriors versus Padang Knights? Because Sam, Jesus, he says. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> okay. So, um, some background here. Um, I think, uh, I think when people see it, I think they're not good, definitely not going to think martial arts. Personally, for me, I'm very loose with labels. I'm very loose with, mm, like, uh, I'm very loose with, uh, with, 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 with concepts in the sense that I like to push a concept as far as I can uh, and see where it goes. Some people don't like it. Like if I do it in a um, less liberal space, I think it is usually met with less, uh, less glee, I suppose. So now that I was the one running the gem, there was no one to tell me, hey, you can't do this. So yeah, I, I just went ahead and did it anyway. And I was like, 
yeah, what was the martial art? Hmm, what is, what, what, how can I make this as esoteric and as oddly specific as possible, but oddly specific in such a way that if you do recognize it, you'll be like, aha, uh, I get this, I, I resonate with it. So I recall back to like my childhood uh, playing on like the Padang, uh, but more specifically the childhood of my father and uncle. Because they like I was homeschooled, uh, I didn't really go. I didn't go to school, so I didn't really experience it for for my for uh firsthand. But I remember my uncle and my father telling me stories about how they would, uh, after school they would go to the park or run around the neighborhood, uh, set off fireworks, uh, aggravate dogs, and then uh, run away as the dogs tried to attack them. Uh, basically, a lot of stupid, reckless shit. <laughs> um. Uh, it was very much a reflection of the times of like the 70s and the 60s where Asian parents were either extremely strict or extremely not strict, where they just let the kids run out and not do whatever they want. Like me growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, early 2000s it was a lot more uh, restricted. I suppose I couldn't just run out, you know. I always had to be monitored. There was, there was mainly the life for everyone, but for... Back in the 70s, it was a free-for-all. It was, there were no, almost as if there were no rules. Like, they used to tell, like, there was gangsterism, like, legit gangsterism. Uh, for, for, like, 14, 15-year-olds, there was, uh, I think my father told me a story once where one of his classmates just drew one, one cycle on wooden shoes all the way to a different state just because he wanted to. Uh, there's a lot of, like, as a child, I think that growing up in the era where Malaysia is new, as a sense of freedom you have. So this game is a reflection of that very oddly specific time, which will never be recorded in history. Like you'll probably be forgotten hundred years from now. So this is my way of preserving. This is this game is a way of me preserving the childhood of the suburban kids who grew up in that era, where you could just do whatever you want. Uh, and then when someone when someone actually got hurt, yeah, I mean that that's when that's when you actually give a shit. But generally, you don't you don't care. You you take cardboard, you take card uh, take cardboard and make armor for yourself, or you take like planks of wood, like hitting each other and throwing rocks at each other. That that's something only a that's something only a kid can do because kids don't have any sense of decency or safety. They just do it because they they want to because they think it's fun. So it's all about capturing that lah. But even even though it's it's capturing the era, it's also me capturing uh what it's like to feel like a like a, a Malaysian kid again, lah. You know, you you're your kid. There are no rules. You just do whatever you want. And when you get in trouble, it feels like the end of the world. Yeah. So do you associate the game with the the lyric game community? Because I got a real yeah. sense of of place and time from 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 reading it. Uh, and a previous panelist that we had remarked that the game is intended to be read but not played. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, you can. I'm not going to stop you from playing it. If you want, if you want to, if you want to take a, a parang or a hammer or a gun or a motorcycle and beat your friends in a in a playground, you know, I mean, I'm not responsible for you if you actually do it. Uh, if you want to, great. You know, do it responsibly. Do it, <laughs> do it responsibly. But uh, I feel like doing it responsibly violates the contract of the game. Uh, I feel like I, irresponsibility is the is the the, the 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 core conceit of the game. I mean, if 
Uh, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna be each other with hammers, at least get each other's consent and like acknowledge. Ah, no, 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 don't don't play the game. Do not play the game. Yeah, it's a lyric. Uh, I should talk about this when I made it. Like you're not. Uh, yeah, well, it's definitely it's definitely meant to capture that that time and place. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I don't have any direct experience with uh, parangs or longkongs or anything like that, but reading the game really took me back to my own childhood, playing army battles and whatever in the backyard. So certainly, like, touching uh, a touch tone there <laughs> that is, I think, unique or, or shared across a lot of childhoods. So it was really fun to, to read through that. Um, we have a question here for everybody. This is from one of our listeners, Alex Guerrero. Uh, he asks... Which fictional weapon or item would you wield personally? And I think it'd be fun to look at this through the lens of your specific games too. So if you want to do that, feel free. If you want to just go hog wild and say whatever weapon or item, uh, that's fine. But let's start off with Aaron here. So uh, how, how would you answer that question for Alex? Uh, it's kind of tricky because I think just just for for it being cool i want to be able to throw throw needles like they're able to throw needles like to be able to throw something like that small and light like that fast and um accurately feels like it would be a really cool trick like i i, I don't really want to be like good at a weapon but like like just just to be able to to have that accuracy and dexterity would be you know I, it would be a cool party trick like you say hey hey you want to see me like throw this needle at this like fly in the air somewhere it's like, huh. yeah i think needle throwing definitely that's awesome if you were playing four swords would you would your sword be a needle uh yeah yeah i think you can yeah like like poison needles especially yeah a needle is a, it's just a very small sword as as the common saying goes yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Joaquin, what about your uh, your fictional weapon? Um, right, uh, fictional weapon. So technically, technically, this is fictional. It's not in my game, but um, it technically is fictional. It's from folklore. Uh, in the Tiboli people in the southwestern Bidana region, they have these these this thing called the 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 Klong, Klong and the Kaflan, Kafilan. It's hard to it's hard to uh, to pronounce. Uh, but the Klong is a rectangular shaped shield, right? That's normal. And the the Kifilan is an elongated itak. Itak is like a like a machete, like a Filipino machete. Um, what's cool about the Kifilan is that it can extend its blade up to the distance of one million lakes and seas. So that's really fucking cool for me so like you know you just raise it up and then suddenly it reaches the sun or something you know and then you strike it down on whoever you need you know why isn't that in karandu <laughs> um the, the design approach i went right now is kind of like generic stuff like you could make your own like magical items and stuff but you know i i i definitely write a supplement for karandu and that's just magical items like 100 magical items make it a table stuff like that sam uh hit it hit us with your uh your fictional weapon uh fictional weapon uh i actually don't i don't have one uh because when i think of myself having a weapon i think of sledgehammer but 
if you if you really wanna if you really wanna ban Asian martial arts, you guys consider Nen from Hunter Hunter a martial art? Yeah. It's whatever yeah, you yeah, want. Yeah, definitely. De- definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be. Are you I'll emitter say, type or? I'm a tra- I'm a transmitter type. How about you? Yeah. <laughs> What's your type? I don't know. Special type. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I, I actually don't remember all the types. Oh come on! Okay, never mind. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll use a slate channel, but I use it transmitter style. Yeah. That's awesome. So we, uh, we've got a little bit of time left. I think a good thing for us to do at this point is to kind of go back around and give everybody a chance to talk about your favorite part of your game or something that you wanted to make sure was mentioned, but um, hasn't been mentioned so far. And then just to be clear, we'll go ahead and give space for you all to share your social media information and that sort of thing. So this is just strictly focused on on your game. Is there anything that hasn't been covered that you would like to cover uh, before we head out? So let's start with Joaquin on this one. All right. Um, actually, most of it was uh, covered uh, because I guess it was pretty obvious and I really wanted to go ham on the themes of, you know, pre-colonial, post-colonial and religious themes and stuff like that. Um, I think one thing that I would love to to share is uh, about the game is that it has a major theme on that God is dead and the Holy Trinity killed them. Um, I, I chose that theme that that line as like a like a like the crux of the of the game's lore and design because well for one I'm a huge Kill Six Billion Demons fan um, and that's really cool and another because it was a good way I think it was a great way to um, to put a, a Filipino spin on the on the old um, on these on that old adage, you know, um, when people say God is dead and we have killed them, it's like a metaphor for like, you know, the death of you know religious monarchy and stuff like that from Nietzsche. Uh, but when I wanted uh, how I wanted to spin it is that God is dead. God being uh, God being like the old religions of the Philippines and the old cultures of the Philippines, and the Holy Trinity has killed them being you know the the colonial powers that came the three the three major colonial powers that came uh, and killed them so that's why god and batala batala is like the old name for the god uh is interchangeable in that in that sense and uh, you know so I, I like to pat myself on the back on that because i felt like it was really clever it was like a it was like a great way to of for myself to condense what i felt about you know philippine culture right now you know, God is dead and the Holy Trinity has killed them. It's, it's, that's what happened to, to the Philippines, something like that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Karanduan is all about hope. Like the Karanduan are coming back. And that's what I wanted to say. Karanduan is coming back and Karanduan is going to make God bleed. That's what I wanted to say with the game, which is, you know, it's up to the current Filipino people to, you know, to, to make that Holy Trinity, that God bleed. And from its blood you know, establish a new nation, something like that, you know. Excellent. Thanks so much. Uh, Aaron, why don't you, uh, why don't you highlight something from your game that you're, uh, that we haven't really talked about? Uh, Yeah. So I guess, I guess one of the things that I'm, I'm kind of excited about like testing further uh, is the dread clock. And this is something that I kind of stole from, from Sam. Um, like because the second sword 
um, in, in that progression of four swords is, a, is supposed to be a sort of doom and a tragedy. Um, so one of the things that happens in the game is that uh, once you unlock, so, so you, you, you gain your progress through your first sword, and then once you unlock your second sword, um, you, can, you can start using fours as uh, successes. But whenever you use a four as a success, because usually you roll d6s and a five and six are success. Uh, but if you use four as a success, then um, you fill up the dread clock. And when the dread clock uh, fills up, someone dies. Um, regardless, like in the current scene, someone dies. Um, so the uh, the idea behind that is it's, it's twofold. It's, it's, it's another thing that I use in a different game as well is that um, I like... I like putting like the uh, little like uh, spins on the um, the numbers in the game as well because like four is a a uh, very unlucky number in Chinese because it sounds like death uh, and to have rolling a four bring you closer to death was like um, too cool to pass up um, uh, so that that's like one one thing that I'm I'm quite keen to like test further. Um, I've only run a test so far with with like people at the first sword. Um, we haven't gone to the second sword yet, um, just to like see how the dice system works uh, and and how some of the other systems work. Uh, and that that was pretty good in, in terms of like uh, um, uh, working those those things out and like figuring out. Oh, okay, I do probably do need to change a few things um, with with the dice system um, but yeah I, th I think the dread clock is the one that I'm I'm quite quite excited to like keep keep going with uh, and also the 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 idea uh, of like lucky numbers and unlucky numbers that aren't just um, ones like you know the, the lowest and the highest like crit fail and crit um, um, successes um, like I would like to see more more games go like oh seven is the lucky number or like if you roll a 13 someone dies like regardless of whatever happens like if you roll a 13 something unlucky happens um, do that like you have like numbers are like such rich um, uh, uh, there's such rich soil there's there's so much superstition around numbers and sequences of numbers that that I think we we haven't really seen uh, a lot of use of that. Um, like, like one of my favorite cards in like Magic: The Gathering is Triska Decaphobia, um, where it's you know it's the fear of the fear of the number thirteen. Uh, and in in that one, if I remember correctly, if your if your life total ends up being exactly thirteen, you just lose the game. Um, so yeah, I like I like cool stuff like that. Nice. All right, uh, Sam. Uh, what about what about you? What about I mean is I sort of feel like like Long Kang Warriors is sort of like a perfect little gem, but is there something that we've missed talking about? Not not really. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just, a, it's just uh, my way of preserving very specific Southeast Asian experiences and feelings as a child. So, I mean, that yeah, if, you feel, if, you, if I made you feel something, if I made you... Uh, remember, like your own childhood. If I made, if I made, like, or if I if I manage to like instill that sense of nostalgia in whoever reads it, then yeah, that I have succeeded. What about jams going forward? Uh, is there something that you know maybe you have an inkling in about of an idea for? Oh, uh, uh, in terms of jams, mm, 
nothing Asian specific yet, but uh, I am planning to run a GM jam soon because I realize there's not a lot of GMing resources. For a community of game or space of game designers, we don't actually talk about game mastering as much as we should. So maybe a GM jam would be a good way for us to collect our collective experiences and share what uh share, share like tidbits and what 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 might work well for for people who are interested in a certain sort of game, you know. Yeah. And Aaron, you had a uh, you had raised your hand during Sam's talk here. Oh yeah, I, I just wanted to 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 chime in that yeah, like reading Longkang Warriors and Parang Nights, like one of the things that it rem reminded me uh, a lot of was like that. Did you play chopping, Sam? Like, I, I played all play the games. <laughs> I played a lot of games. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, so I, yeah. So I I don't know. It it's a it's a game basically it's tag but with a a tennis ball, uh, that we used to play a lot like in. Padangs, like literally, like um, um, in the school padang, we would like run around and just throw a tennis ball at each other. Uh, I don't even remember if there's teams. It's just like be the last one standing and like just like weather the hits of like uh, a tennis ball. Uh, I don't know. We got into trouble because like you know hit someone in the eye a couple of times. People got injured. Uh, we used the we didn't use a tennis ball. We used a cricket ball or something at some point, and like someone got hit really hard. Um, but yeah, like that, that feeling of like, you know, when you're a kid, you're like just playing games that like are way too unsafe in hindsight um, and like people getting injured. And also like the, the idea of like, hey, you know, like this is that time for you to do this shit and like no one's really looking, no one's really caring uh, and you adjudicate it amongst yourselves. You, you, you kind of like, um, uh, like it's your time, you know? Like this is like a, a, a bubble, a, a space where this thing happens. No one's going to get like mad that you threw a ball at someone because that's the whole game. Um, yeah. And like the idea of that. And then after that, you know, like in your game where you have like, you know, the, 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 the call comes, like your, your parents call you home. Um, I mean, we played at school, so like there weren't parents calling us home, but like, you know, like a bell sounds somewhere and say, like, oh crap, we got to go. Or, or, or sometimes literally the parents are calling us home because like they're waiting to pick us up from school, right? Like, and then and then that kind of like spell is broken, and and you go back to like not hitting each other with balls. Um, yeah, like I I I I resonated strongly with that. Like I think you mentioned, like it's a childhood thing where you just go around and like do very um, unsafe. You play. We played a lot of unsafe games as kids. I think one thing I like to bring up is the fact that I think for Malaysian kids in general, specifically, I'm pretty sure this is something uh, other children from other cultures and countries can relate to. But I think specifically in terms of, especially for me and Aaron uh, and other Malaysians, right? We we when we grow up, we have this in terms of game design, right? We have this entire lexicon and and like library of like oral games, almost like an oral tradition, like where we have the, all, all sorts of uh, games like Pepsi Cola or why yeah, is it? Folk games, yeah. Uh, yeah, the one with the, the fingers and, and the and the football standees. Yeah. And the slapping yeah. each other's uh, yeah, hands. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, hockey knows what, what, yeah, hockey knows what I'm talking about. Huh, Philippines also had the same thing. Hmm, interesting. Yes, it, but, um, yeah. It's, uh, the, the slapping thing, yeah. It's yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah, we all <laughs> use different names for real life. You come from a different school or neighborhood, you have a different community. You use different names for these games, but all of us sort of like know what these games got. It's very like, yeah, you know, it's not like like what you don't see. Like it's very folk, folk, uh, folk tale, folk gamesy, and these these things will only only uh, there, there's no way to preserve them only in our memories. So I think yeah, this is kind of like preserving that vibe. Yeah, that point you made about sort of like an oral tradition of childhood games is really blowing my mind. You're totally right. I, I think I think every group of children comes up with their own ways to play things. And it's amazing how much that gets shared across vast distances sometimes. Um, so thank you very much for, for the discussion there. We want to close out here with a chance for everybody to remind folks where they can be found online. Uh, that includes storefronts, social media, whatever. So let's start off with Joaquin here. All right. Um, you can find me on Twitter as a liquor canini, L-I-Q liquor, and then add canini, C-A-N-I-N-I on the end. I don't know where it came from. Um, so just liquor canini almost everywhere. I put, I post writing, I post uh, game design. Um, in itch, you can find me at itch.io slash tadhana, if I remember correctly. Um, so that's tad and then hana, H-A-N-A. Um, and that's mostly it, yeah. Very cool. And just so everybody knows, uh, listeners and panelists alike, we're going to have links to all this stuff in the show notes. So uh, everybody will be covered as far as that goes too. Uh, let's do Aaron next. Oh, so uh, like I mentioned uh, at the front of the show, uh, I go by at Aaron Lime, E-H-R-O-N-L-I-M-E uh, on most social media. So find me on Twitter there and it's at, it's aaronlime.itch.io as well. And that's where you can find um, my games. Uh, I, I'll highlight as well, uh, we were talking about uh, games that use uh, uh, numbers as superstition. I have another game called The Oaths We Saw Amid Autumn Leaves that does that. Where Rolling an eight is great because uh, Chinese people love the number eight because it sounds like prosperity. Uh, and rolling a four is bad. So yeah, check those out. And finally, Sam. Hi. Uh, you can find me everywhere as Bubblegum Sam. That's B-A-B-B-L-E-G-U-M-S-A-M. Like Bubblegum, but with an A instead of a U. Uh, you can find me on, I mean, yeah, why, why not? You know, you can find me on Itch.io, where, where all my games and fictions are. Yeah, um, it's, not, it's not very well known, but I also do a bit of writing and I experiment with stuff. So yeah, do check that out. I released three recent uh, not, uh, fiction uh, short stories there. And I'll keep releasing them as time goes by. Uh, as usual, I make games about trauma, healing, magic, intimacy, ultraviolence, and the uh, Asian experience. So if you are interested in any of that, check my work out. Uh, also follow, uh, you can also find me on uh, Twitter, uh, where I post uh, stuff about, well, exploitation movies and K-pop. Uh, when I'm not talking about game design occasionally. You can also find me on Instagram. Uh, do not add me on Facebook uh, for your own safety. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you can also find me on Tinder and OkCupid, but I'm not sure what what context you will find me there. If we do, hey, you know, swipe. I'll, sw I'll swipe on you. That's a, that's a guarantee. All right. So we'd like to swipe right on all of our guests today. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, all of you, uh, this has been such a great experience, hearing all of you talk about your games, talking about your personal experience. 
this is something that we would definitely like to do again at some point. Uh, so thank you very much, Sam. Thanks for organizing. Thanks for all of your hard work and all of your games. Uh, and thanks to the listener for all of their questions. Thanks for listening. And remember to make your Kung Fu stronger. Thanks for listening. You can reach Eli at ZapDynamic on Twitter or at his website, mythicgazetteer.com. And you can reach me at Eric M. Farmer on Twitter or at my website, dogpoweredvehicle.com. Or you can reach both of us at Jianghu Hustle on Twitter, jianghuhustle at gmail.com for email, and on the Misdirected Mark website. This show is a proud member of the Misdirected Mark Network.